I'm Diana, and I love printing and design, typography and branding, books and publishing. I've traveled the world learning about trends to share with my students and with my readers. But I haven't forgotten where I started, writing papers about paper on paper. And now, I've created a podcast to share what I know with you. So, let's talk paper scissors. I didn't do the thing today. Letting go of productivity guilt. When I first heard of this book by author Madeline Dorr, the title immediately grabbed my attention. Kudos to Madeline and her publishing team for grabbing the attention of the target audience. I downloaded the audiobook so that I could walk and listen. Now I recognize the irony in trying to be as productive as possible while listening to a book to overcome productivity guilt, but here we are. And as a bonus bit of irony, it took me nearly twice as long as the seven-hour listening time to get through the book because I kept pausing and rewinding and re-listening to sections to really take in what Madeline was saying. It was so good. There were so many things that resonated with me directly from page one onwards. Something that I am very excited about, but also incredibly nervous about, is carving out the month of July just for my family. That means no work, no thinking about work, no thinking about thinking about work. It's going to be a stretch for me. But the busyness and chaos that has reigned in everyone's lives the last two years has taken its toll on me. If you're intrigued and you'd like to hear more about my why and my how for rest this summer, continue listening after today's interview. And that's why this episode is so much longer than usual. I am so excited to share today's conversation with you. After finishing her book, I reached out to Madeline on a whim, thanking her for writing such a poignant piece of work and asking if she'd like to come on the podcast and chat with a like-minded soul who is trying to not do all the things today. I was delighted when she agreed. The conversation you're about to hear took place in late March of this year. The time between when it was originally recorded and now when it's released has been about three months, an entire spring season. I kind of love the fact that there has been this gap from recording to production, editing, and release. It's given me some time to be able to reflect on our conversation, as well as think about what it means to me in this slowed down season of spring transitioning into summer. Back in late March, 2022, I was doing all the things today. In our conversation, Madeline and I discuss why perfection is a flawed concept and what's better than striving for perfection. We also talk about the importance of taking productivity down off of its pedestal, the bright side of not completing your to-do list, the importance of being curious to question where our productivity guilt comes from, as well as broadening the measure of a day to celebrate the variances there within, as well as the variances within ourselves. Madeline provides insight on the daunting nature of space that rest affords us, practical tips for living presently in our days, the ways Madeline chooses to measure her days beyond being productive, why the very quantifiable measure of productivity is actually an imperfect metric too, and what the term precrastination means. It is a big one. 
I really, really appreciate all that Madeline's work has done to open my eyes. And if you've ever felt stuck on the world's hamster wheel, going through the motions and being productive without really stopping to consider the bigger picture, this episode is for you. Full stop. Hi, Madeline. Hi, Diana. So lovely to be speaking with you today. It's lovely to be speaking with you. And you're actually from the future because it is tomorrow where you are. <laughs> I am. It's- and I have to say, it's a beautiful Friday. Um, I hope that you're all going to enjoy it as much as I am on this sunny, sunny Melbourne morning. I love it. Perfect. It is still a gloomy, cool <laughs> uh, Thursday <laughs> evening here in Canada in Toronto. But uh, thank you again so much for for chatting. And I am so excited to kind of dive into some of the topic areas of your new book. And the mm-hmm. title of your new book is... I didn't do the thing today. <laughs> and it's oh. all about letting go of productivity guilt. It's it's awesome. I, I was telling you that I it took me probably twice as long as it should have that to listen to the audiobook version because I kept going backwards and I kept listening again and bookmarking things and going back and writing down something. So it's it was such a, a joy to read or or listen to your voice uh, reading your book. And I think it's such a timely absolutely timely topic area all about kind of letting go of productivity guilt yes yeah well thank you what a compliment diana and i'm I'm glad there was some gems in there and i think that um yeah i think we we have such you know just like the weather we just touched on there's such variances in our days as well um so i think that the there can be so much pressure that we put on ourselves um and so just to have a companion to to the the variety and the interruptions and the uncertainty in our days, I think, is um, certainly for me something that's been helpful. And I 100% agree. And I'm actively working on figuring out how to get rid of that productivity guilt (laughs) for myself and my own life. But there's this key idea right at the beginning of your book that you talk about, um, about this kind of illusion of optimizing our lives to the point of perfection. And we keep looking to external hacks and routines and promises from maybe products or services where we can find perfection, as it were. And therefore, once we do that, we, we're worthy. We can be worth living on this planet. So um, you also mentioned that, though, that when the thing no longer works, kind of self-blame co- comes in and, and rears its ugly head. And so I just want to know from you and your experience and, and in writing this book as well, what have you learned to be the better way <laughs> through all of that? Mm. Yes, you're so right there, Diana, in terms of it really creates this spiral, this sort of striving for perfection, and then we don't quite reach that because perfection in and of itself is is an illusion. Um, and then we kind of, it's interesting, we then search for the next hack that might be promising um, improvement or fulfilment or um, perfection once more. Uh, and then this kind of perpetual falling short means that we, we can turn that in an onto ourselves. So we, we look to these sort of habits or morning routines um, that are pedestalized by society or other people who, you know, are deemed successful. Uh, and when they don't fit or work for us, um, we then sort of I feel like that there must be something wrong with us rather than thinking, well, actually, maybe this doesn't work for me because my day is different. Um, you know, I, I spent a long time 
personally searching for the secret to productivity and I interviewed hundreds of creative people and people that I admired about how they do what they do. And at first I was really, really looking for that secret and I thought that I could just copy and paste um, their routines and their habits and, and those sorts of things onto my life. But I quickly discovered that you can't recreate the same recipe when you don't have the same ingredients. So in terms of returning to this question about sort of what's the better way, I think what I found, it's, it's sort of common wisdom, but I think we overlook it time and time again, but this idea that you really do need to find your own way. So rather than trying to copy and paste routines or these habits or continuing to sort of stumble over this idea of, you know, you have to be a morning person to be successful, for example, it's like, well, maybe accept the fact that you might never be. Maybe that just doesn't work for you to get up at five in the morning for a variety of reasons. And that doesn't need to mean that you're not good enough or you're not worthy. Instead, it's about experimenting with your own day and finding what it is that that does work for you. Um, so I think that to me, it's, it's, it's really about sort of uh, instead of productivity being the measure, it's about really finding how you can sort of be responsive to your own ebb and flow. And I don't think pedestalizing productivity really allows for that because productivity is so prescriptive and, and linear and it's all about output. Um, and it's, you know, very much related to machines, whereas we're, we're human and we are fallible and we are going to make, um, you know, mistakes and we're going to have distractions and we're going to be interrupted. So, um, yeah, I think it's really about trying to untether that idea that productivity is, productivity is a measure of our worth and, and letting go of this idea of perfection. I think the analogy of trying to create the same recipe with different ingredients is so clear in my mind. And I think that's such mm -hmm. a brilliant, a brilliant analogy. And I completely agree with you that um, I, too, am someone who tries to find to optimize my days. And I'm actively working to try to have a bit more of the ebb and the flow and and allow for some of that white space, as it were, that creative space or that space where I don't need to be at the top of my game at all times or feel like mm -hmm. I have to be. So I completely um, appreciate what you're saying for sure. <laughs> and I guess maybe a follow-up to that is what, in your opinion, do, is perfect? And, and why is it kind of such a tempting illusion to try and strive for perfection that smart people fall victim to every single day? Mm. Yeah, it's, it's such an interesting one because... The, the word itself means complete. Um, and so we're striving for completion. And we see that in even our own to-do lists. You know, if we, we get to the end of the day and it's incomplete, we deem the day a failure or ourselves a failure. But it's kind of interesting because we don't sort of often stop to question, well, we put a lot on the list. Um, having it complete is quite unrealistic. Or we don't appreciate the things that we did do. Um, we also don't see that... Perhaps it's not a failure. These incomplete things, they actually are possibilities. They're things that we still get to do in some mm. instances. Like I know that can sort of sound a bit, you know, if there's things on that list that you don't want to do, it sort of can be a bit tedious. But at the same time, it's, it's like there's, we want more to keep living for. Um, and so this idea that we're striving for completion, it's sort of at, at odds with how we are as people because 
we want to keep growing. We want to keep experiencing things. We want there to be more life to keep living. If we were complete, that's the end. Um, and so it's kind of to sort of flip that a little bit and think like, well, actually, we want to be imperfect because that means that there's more to learn, there's more to experience. And so I think we overlook that because, you know, they're, they're, it's, 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 it's interesting because I'm trying to think sort of societally how we, we do that on a big scale because it, it's, I think maybe it keeps us on a hamster wheel, I suppose, because we're striving for completion, but it's an illusion we'll never quite get there. But we keep staying busy in that cycle of trying to be perfect or trying to be productive or trying to be, um, you know, successful and things. And it keeps us stuck. And as long as we're on that little hamster wheel, then we don't sort of stop to question, well, what is it that I really want to be doing? Because we're just sort of going around and around. And so I think it's important to, to step off that perfectionism hamster wheel and that striving for something that's impossible or that we don't really want in the first place and ask like what is it that I want from this moment or what is it that I want and how can I embrace the imperfectness of that and and once we do that we can kind of unpack perfectionism and see that there's all these different sides to it there's sort of perfectionism um this this one side is that we delay starting something because we're worried it won't be perfect and then we can acknowledge well it never will be so maybe we may as well just start and then we can also look at how perfectionism can be something about delaying finishing. And then we can accept, well, actually, something won't ever really be finished, but I can deem it to be so and I can share it with the world. And so I think that it can be helpful to see the frame of perfectionism, the illusion of completion, and then see how it's keeping you stuck. I There are so many things running through my head <laughs> right now <laughs> in a good way because this is such a topic for, for me that's so... I'm so passionate about and I feel like mm. I'm this is the part of me I'm trying to figure out the most but there's a few things you said there and one of the things is kind of this again this kind of uh, metaphor of a hamster wheel and and mm. being kind of on this wheel without questioning why am I on this wheel or what do I want something different and I wonder and this is a big question that that maybe you don't have an answer to I don't know that I have an answer but I think I wonder if our education system and the way in which we grew up kind of reinforces that. We have projects, we're given projects, we do projects, we get marks, and then we get the next project. And we don't really have a moment to question kind of why we're doing this stuff or why we're being productive. Um, anyway, that's probably a big open-ended question to the to the universe, to the education mm -hmm. gods. But <laughs> I, I don't know. I think I think that that maybe our, our kind of mm. our upbringing reinforces this as well. I think so. Like, I think that that's a, that's a huge, you know, systemic part of it. And I think that we are, you know, steeped in this culture. Um, we've, we've internalized this capitalism. We've internalized mm. this idea that, that doing and ticking things off and getting graded and being sort of getting these gold stars, you know, mm -hmm. and being rewarded for that. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a huge thing and it's very nuanced because it's complex and it's something that, you know, where it's very difficult to untangle from that. Um, and so I think that's, that's why it's in many ways easier to be on the hamster wheel or we don't even know that we're on it because mm -hmm. it's something that we are sort of um, put into. It's this, this conveyor belt of, you know, 
this is, you know, you do this school, you you kind of go to university, like there's this structure to our lives. And I think what can be upsetting about that is that we are different people with different energy and attention and neurodiversity and resources and privileges and finances and all these different variances. And then we're all told to sort of, this is this is what success looks like. And so that if we don't sort of fit into this very small box, we can sort of turn to sort of self-blame for that. But actually we just need all sorts of different people in this life and we all need different lives. And there are so many different ways to live a life. Um, and so, yeah, I guess experimenting and, and getting curious, I think, about where these stories of self-blame come from or where this guilt, productivity guilt might come from um, or where the anxiety about not doing enough or the shame of not doing enough. I think what, if we get curious, that's just the, that's the starting point. And it doesn't necessarily mean that with the book, it doesn't promise to untangle you from the societal structure, but I hope it encourages curiosity to see sort of where this perfectionism might be keeping you stuck or where this internalized capitalism might be um, sort of making you feel bad about yourself or, you know, accepting that there's inevitable distractions in the day. And then once we can get curious, we can kind of notice them and then we can kind of maybe even forgive them and reframe them and, um, yeah, really broaden the measure of a day to celebrate the variances of not just the day but also ourselves. Yes, 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 yes. I I love it. And I think that that you bring up such good points about the fact that we're all kind of funneled into this very small little box that is success. Mm-hmm. It's kind of somewhere down there. But yeah, literally thinking outside of the box and kind of understanding our own measures of success. I know that, again, that's something I, I personally have been working on is to figure out, okay, if perfection is not the goal anymore, because it's a bit of an illusion as it is, perfection is is not necessarily something that I want to be striving for. What does that look like then? And, and kind of re- aligning or reevaluating or reframing my own metrics mm. but yeah, yeah anyway this is not a though, therapy session it can be it can be it's, it's, it's really tricky like what do we put there and I think sometimes we don't know and we there's nothing there for a while and I think that's actually quite daunting to have space as you put before it's sort of we resist it um it's it's easier to sort of maybe follow what we're told to do sometimes because then we don't need to be stuck in indecision or you know figure it out for ourselves and and it also means that we're never going to arrive there either it's going to keep changing what our measure is and I'm curious to hear what you've landed at so far but yeah maybe maybe it will keep changing for you too yeah, I don't know that I've, uh, you know what, actually, one thing that I, I've started doing with my students, because again, we've been exploring this idea of what is perfection and, and how do we kind of, is that something that's useful as a metric? And um, yeah, so I have, I've started doing something called a creative cousins map with my students. And basically, mm. we, we start mapping out who they are inspired by and whether that's a celebrity, whether that's someone in their family, whether who, whoever those people are, but start drawing this kind of family tree as it were, and then start naming and identifying why we find inspiration in those people. And all of a sudden what, what starts to happen is we see repeating words. So things like this person is likes to experiment, this person's curious, this person is um, funny, This wh- whatever those words that start to repeat. And then all of a sudden, if we kind of look in the mirror, 
uh, we what students and myself have started to find is that these words that are reoccurring all of a sudden are new goalposts or new ways mm. to measure our creativity. If, oh, yeah, I love so it's, that. How cool. A yeah, so we've been <laughs> experimenting with how we might kind of find new goalposts, as it were, mm -hmm. for our, our creative work. Anyway, this is not about me. This is about you. Oh, but that's <laughs> such a great tool that you're sharing. How wonderful. Mm. What I'm really curious to know kind of next as a follow-up question is, what do you believe we are missing when we do try to optimize our days, when we try and hack the heck out of it, what what are we missing? Mm. It's, it's a good question because I, I think that, you know, in some cases, I'm sure that sometimes the hacks and the, the tips and the tools can be really powerful and they, they can work. And even, you know, creative cousins, like when you come up with something like that that works for you and as inspiring, these things can be a guide. And even productivity you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with being productive. Like we all want to do things and need to do things. It's just when we put it as the sole measure of our worth that we can get really entangled because it, it just means that we never sort of reach what is enough. And so I think what we're missing is maybe really sort of being present, I suppose. So when we when we try to optimize our days or we feel like we're falling short of that and then we spiral in productivity guilt and sort of lament how much time we might have wasted or berate ourselves or just feel like we're behind and we're falling short, um, we can just, it's a downward spiral and it really takes us out of the day. Um, it's kind of interesting the times that I've experienced productivity guilt what that looked like for me is that I had a very prescriptive idea of what I needed to be doing and when I needed to do it. And if I wasn't doing that particular thing at that particular time, I would sort of say, well, oh, I can't do anything then. And I would kind of, I'd feel too guilty to sort of just maybe do another thing, even if that other thing is going for a walk. So I'd kind of just be stifled and I would be stuck in place and suspended animation when actually it, taking a more flexible approach means that, okay, that thing that I thought I would be doing, maybe I still need to keep thinking about it. Or maybe my attention and focus needs to be on this other thing for now and I can come back to that. Or maybe I do need to take that walk and reset. Or maybe it's a moment to connect with someone instead. Um, maybe there's another item on my to-do list that is enlivening me. And so instead of being stifled and not doing anything for that moment, we actually turn to something and sometimes that that something is is better than nothing um not to say that you know doing nothing doesn't have its own value too um so i think that what we miss is actually being present and alive to our day um if if we keep sort of stumbling over this productivity guilt or keep trying to optimize but never feel like we get there it takes us so far out of our day um and sort of it can take us into the future, it can take us into the past and what we're missing is this moment. And so what's been really helpful for me uh, is this phrase that I've borrowed from a book written in 1908 by Arnold Bennett. And he talks about the beautiful thing about time is that it cannot be wasted in advance. And so you can actually turn over a new leaf every hour if you choose to. And so sometimes, you know, I'll lament wasting the morning, but instead of 
going into the afternoon worrying about all the time that I wasted in the morning and wasting the afternoon by worrying, I can say, okay, I can turn over a new leaf. Um, and I think that puts us back into our day. And I think it's really about then instead of optimising, it's about occupying our day. And I think that's what we can really sort of, yeah, learn from. That's really powerful. I, I think that's that's such a great way to think about things and, and look at, um, yeah, so if, if, you're, if you're not happy with how the first couple of hours of the morning went, it's a matter of turning over a new leaf because you can't mm-hmm. pre-waste time. Yeah, you can't pre-waste it, <laughs> which is great. That's, that's so brilliant. I absolutely mm-hmm. love that. And I and, and maybe you've already kind of spoken to this a little bit, but I, I'm curious to pick your brain a little bit more uh, about this specific topic. So in your book, you also mentioned that we measure a day well spent by what we get done, but this is only one measure, right? Producti- productivity is just one measure of many that, that we can use to, to measure kind of um, our days. So how else can we measure our days, in your opinion? What, what are some other mm. metrics that we can use? Well, I've got, I've got some favourites. Um, so these might they're biased because <laughs> I, I particularly like them. Um, but I really like creativity, connection, curiosity, kindness. I think there's they're really they're really opening. <laughs> you are speaking my language. I feel like oh. I am. <laughs> you, you and I are kindred spirits. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, that's yeah. That's definitely. I can. Um, sense your curiosity that's for sure um and I think it's a beautiful thing I think that you know productivity narrows our days and then if we have creativity just by nature it's more expansive it it has the ebb and flow there's it 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 doesn't have it's not linear it's it can go out in all directions that by nature is what creativity is and we don't need to be a creative professional to be creative all it's a it's an innate human trait and so I think that creativity is expansive. And then we look at curiosity. If creativity is expansive, curiosity is what deepens things. Curiosity is what sort of, you know, it could be a problem that we're encountering. It could be a heartbreak. It could be a challenge. It could be whatever stumbling block it is. If we're curious about it and we sort of look into it, that deepens our experiencing, it deepens our experience with it. Um, and then I think so. That's that's a beautiful measure for me. But it's it's also interesting because it's it's immeasurable. And um, I think similarly with connection, um, it's another immeasurable thing. But connection, we're nothing without connection, and yet we don't put it on a pedestal. Um, you know, imagine if we got to the end of the day, and instead of counting what we did, we sort of look at how we connected and how kind we might have been to people. Um, I also speak uh, like under that umbrella of connection and kindness is this you know this idea of like kind acts can really spread um you know it's it's when someone's sort of kind to you even unexpectedly say in the street and sometimes you can be all in your head and you can sort of be um maybe feeling grumpy or maybe even have a, a frown and then you might look at someone and they smile at you and it kind of it just it stops you in your tracks most of the time um, and you smile back and it kind of, then you're there to smile at the next person and it sort of, it's, it spreads, it softens you and it spreads. Um, and so why aren't we measuring that, you know? Um, and then I think 
yeah, uh, I just think even putting things like learning something new as the measure, because that's something that learning will never fail because it's actually the, um, it's the, it's what we get from our failures. We get lessons and we get um, experiences. So I don't know, I just think there's all these things that we can pick up and appreciate more that um, that isn't just what we did or didn't do. It might be how we connected and how we learnt and how we uncovered something through our curiosity. I absolutely love all of that, and I'm in complete agreement. And it's it's interesting, though, because I, I use the word metrics, and I don't mm-hmm. – and maybe, maybe, I'm just kind of pontificating here, but maybe mm-hmm. because we can we – can, write down our to-do list and we can say check 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 mm. that's easily quantifiable whereas something that is again curiosity learning creativity kindness all of these pieces that are a little more abstract a little less quantifiable maybe that's another another reason or another kind of barrier to being able to to say my day was a great day because I did x y and z and so mm. it's 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 interesting because I was I was speaking with someone this morning and and this is a little bit different but I think in many ways the same. Um, we were talking about communication and communication skills being taught in the classroom and oftentimes it's talking that is kind of take takes precedence in terms of um, how much emphasis is placed on communicating through speaking versus communicating through listening and what we kind of came down to or, or uh, agreed upon is that. When someone is speaking, when someone is talking, that's easily quantifiable, right? It's just airtime. Mm-hmm. But how do we know mm-hmm. someone's listening? It's much harder to evaluate someone on their listening versus their talking, like participation grades. So I think maybe it comes down to how do we, I don't know, how do we think about these these other metrics in ways that we can kind of quantify them in I, I don't know I'm mm. <laughs> I'm rambling it's, here <laughs> no but it's, it's such a good it's it's the it's the it's the tension of it all I think it's because there is no answer um mm. but I think that even just acknowledging it's interesting because I think we do turn to the to-do list as you say as, it, as this it's a very tangible metric but even when we unpack that the to-do list isn't that accurate either because we might put something on there that is you know takes hours or requires so much thinking or it still needs it's, it's an awaiting an epiphany or it needs a collaborator or this the, the what's on the to-do list comes in such a variety of shapes and sizes as well but it just look it has the illusion once more of appearing like it it's a cohesive metric but I think that's where we keep getting a bit stuck is that you know we put productivity as the measure but it's actually not as measurable as we think it is when it comes to us as human beings because what is productivity and I think we saw this especially for people who transitioned to working from home in the pandemic is that there was no longer that structure of okay well productivity means being at the office from nine to five that sort of went out the window it was all blurry and so you know as when I transitioned from working full-time to a freelancer I found that really hard because sometimes, you know, the day I could get my work done in a, in, in a matter of a few hours if I was, you know, really in that time focused. And then I didn't sort of, I thought I had to keep filling the day. 
So is productivity filling the day and working long hours or is productivity being really focused and getting something done in an efficient way? Or is productivity having that epiphany and, you know, solving a problem that you might have been sitting on for, for years? Um, or is it the output of something? Is it how much money something earned? Or is it how sort of it, it, it took something else along? So it's imperfect as a measure too. And so maybe if we see that, we can be like, well, I may as well measure the day by connection then because productivity is sort of leading me astray and making me feel bad about myself and I don't even really know what it looks like. So I think it comes back to this idea of really finding what works for you and finding your own definition of things. And so you could find your own definition of productivity or you could just find your own definition of something else entirely, be that connection or curiosity. I think we're allowed to just make it up. Like, why not? You know, <laughs> um, the rules are fake. Yeah, exactly. And maybe that's our little way of resisting things, you know, we're, we're stuck in this very complex system, but I don't know, maybe we can just have fun with it can be the antidote. So well said. And yeah, that's such an interesting, I never quite thought of it that way. Productivity is an imperfect measure of our day anyway. So let's throw mm. that out the window too. Why not make it all up? I love that. Yeah. I have one final question for you. So this is really around kind of this intersection of doing less or subtraction or whatever we want to call it, letting go of the productivity guilt and creativity. So in your book, you mention a framework by Graham Wallace for the creative process that includes four stages. So it includes a preparation stage, an incubation stage, an illumination stage, and a verification stage. So how do you believe that not doing the thing today helps us with our own creative processes? And and maybe bigger than that, what can creative beings everywhere learn about the link between doing less and creativity, in your opinion? Hmm. Yeah, that's such a good question, because I, I think that it's in many ways acknowledging that there will it's not so much sort of not doing the thing willy-nilly it's more like acknowledging that there'll be days that we just don't do the thing and there are days that we don't do the thing because our days vary and to sort of be able to put a framework to that because that can be quite daunting and nebulous and it's like what do you mean there's no sort of structure to the day like it can kind of it can make it, it can int introduce a bit of panic, I think, in, in some instances. If people, you know, there, there's something to be said for having some structure and, and so on. Um, so to kind of put a framework around that, the, the creative process in and of itself leaves room for those days that we don't do the thing. So there's a, as you put it, the preparation stage is where we're doing the research and we're gathering inspiration and there's some, there's some activity there. But then the incubation stage looks a lot like nothing. It looks like not doing the thing. But it's the all-important thinking time. It's when we're really absorbing things and we're letting things mull in our mind. And to really acknowledge that that it's not so much doing less, but leaving space for not doing is so powerful to be able to make the connections that we need to make. Um, and then that's what leads to the illumination stage. That's where we do have the epiphany because we've allowed for that space. And then we can move on to the verification stage where it is about sort of doing and so I think that if we see, I think that can help take away the feelings of productivity guilt because instead of labeling not doing anything as laziness or procrastination or judging it, we see actually I'm just in this really important phase of incubating 
And that's important. And if I don't allow that space, I actually won't produce something sometimes of quality because you're rushing through. There's this idea of procrastination, which is interesting, where instead of procrastinating, you you rush and you do things too quickly um, because you want to get something done. But in doing that, you actually create a lot of inefficiencies for yourself because you didn't allow for enough time to problem solve. Um, so I think that that, for me, it just really helped to see we're not being lazy necessarily. It's it's really important to have that rest and not to tie rest to then being able to produce more, but just to have that space to, to just be a human being. And, and if we allow for that, that's when we're hopping off the hamster wheel in that moment and we're able to maybe have the time to reflect on, well, is this really something that's serving me? So if we don't have that space, we're just going around and around and around again and we don't actually have a chance to rethink like, oh, what's keeping me so busy? Where are these stories coming from? I think it comes right back to that curiosity once more. Um, And so I think, yeah, the creative process, I think, is a good analogy for our lives whether or not we're creative. Um, and then obviously if you are, you know, working creatively, then you can keep that top of mind and apply it to your work as well. But I think it, yeah, I think we can live our lives like this too, be it in our relationships. Like all of these things can follow this pattern because everything ebbs and flows. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. And I think you are... You're brilliant and you've got so many um, incredible views about how and ideas about how to let go of this productivity guilt, which I think a lot of listeners feel. And mm-hmm. again, I think that's something that is is kind of um, pushed upon us growing mm-hmm. up and 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 it's something that I think many people, uh, through this um, pandemic and through kind of having their routines shaken up, are starting to go. Oh wait, why am I mm-hmm. on this hamster wheel? Is this something I want to be on? And and how? What what do these metrics look like? So it's it's such a timely book, and I so so appreciate your time and your energy and your enthusiasm for this topic. I it's uh, yeah. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Diana, and thank you for it's just so lovely to meet a curious soul and your questions are beautiful and and um i love your creative cousins so keep doing the (laughs) brilliant work that you're doing thank you she's so spot on i am so appreciative to madeline for taking the time to have that conversation now on to our episode bonus material my journey to rest. So throughout the month of May, as my schedule began opening and kind of this breathing space settled around me, one of the greatest gifts the world offered me during that time was stopping to smell the flowers, literally. Our local plant life invited me to slow down during mid-May cherry blossom blooms and the maturation of spectacularly fragrant lilacs and the dripping scented blooms on the Solomon seals that sit adjacent to my front porch, greeting me each time I walked past them. Their scents remind me to enjoy the beauty and the mystery and the wonder for the short time that they are here each year. They invite me to stop my forward momentum for a minute, engage my senses, and slow my busy mind. 
and everything I am reading and watching these days seems to be pointing in this similar direction, rest. For example, earlier this year, I watched a TEDx talk entitled The Real Reason We Are Tired and What to Do About It by physician Sandra Dalton-Smith. In it, she identifies seven types of rest. I love that, which was really a revolutionary concept for me to learn that rest is not simply synonymous with sleep and that there are actually six additional types of rest that we can tap into. Here are the seven. So there's physical, sleep, etc. There's mental, slowing down our busy minds. Sensory, removing excess stimuli. Social, connecting with others. Emotional, embracing authenticity in ourselves. Spiritual, which could be religion, community, or nature. And creative, creative strategy or creative outputs. So it feels really important to me for a medical professional to identify these different types of rest, providing just additional options to rejuvenate myself when I get the recommended number of hours of sleep, but I still don't feel rested. To continue my exploration of rest, I've just finished reading the book, Do Nothing, How to Break Away from Overworking, Overdoing, and Underliving by Celeste Headley. And it's been an incredible resource to understand the systemic and societal factors that drive our efficiency-focused culture. Five stars, two thumbs up, I 100% recommend this book. Now, I love being efficient. I should say this. I love being efficient, and I love being productive, and I love what I do. But without the balance of adequate rest or the unhealthy, compulsive need to feel that my worth is somehow tied to my to-do list, even subconsciously, that's when efficiency is no longer a helpful means to an end. Within the conclusion of her book, Celeste shares these summative insights. She says this, We can develop new habits that better suit our innate need to belong, our thirst for companionship, and our ability to imagine incredible things through a focused mind. Human beings are social animals who are at their best when they connect with one another. Collaboration is our superpower. Perhaps we can create a culture in which relationships are prioritized instead of productivity. I love that in our conversation, Madeline spoke directly to this desire to make connection a new goalpost for success. In working on this podcast, one of my absolute favorite things is connecting with others who are outside of my typical kind of established social circle. Actively expanding this circle for personal development, rather than for any type of kind of strategic or ego-driven reason as it relates to the podcast, feels really great and authentic and right. For me, this podcast is the means and not the end. It's the conduit through which I am fortunate enough to have these conversations. And I'm going to continue exploring connection as part of my restful journey this summer. Circling back, Celeste finishes her earlier thought by saying this. She says, Human beings have a great capacity for joy. I would love to see us make joy a goal. Oof. And it was this concept of joy that helped me better understand my own whys for taking on new projects adjacent to my day job. 
Something clicked for me when listening to an episode uh, of Glennon Doyle's podcast, episode number 48 of We Can Do Hard Things. Vulnerability researcher Brené Brown said something that I felt compelled to immediately jot down safely as I was driving. She said that when she was asked about her thoughts on taking on opportunities versus when to say no because we have enough, she suggested asking yourself the following questions. Do I want to do it? Is there joy in it? Or do I just want to prove that I can do it? Bingo. And while I love what I do, I can think of having said yes to things that certainly weren't rooted in intrinsic joy, but were rather extrinsic stubbornness, proving that I could do something. And as the universe would have it, Brené's words and work continue to align with my increasing capacity for rest. On May 8, 2022, the one and only Brené Brown shared a blog post she wrote with the world called Creating Space. In it, she describes the space that is required between stimulus and response for our growth and for our freedom. She says, I try to keep that space wedged open with my sobriety, sleep, prayer, working out, practicing curiosity, therapy, and intentional breathing, to name a few. Brené then describes the way in which the last couple of years have been really hard on her, and she feels the space closing in again. As she explains it, The pause is suffering. Her solution? Commit to a three-month sabbatical. She says, To reinvest in that space, I've decided to take a sabbatical this summer. I've never done it before, and just the thought of taking off 14 weeks is anxiety-producing for someone who can struggle to take a week off. Brené, I hear this deeply. And, as I am learning, I don't need anyone's permission to take a break, but if there ever was permission to be had, I see Brene's initiative as exactly that, and it landed on my radar just a few weeks after my commitment to take my own, shorter, summer sabbatical. She is leading the way and teaching through example that our hustle culture must strike a balance between doing meaningful work while remaining open to the space required to take notice of the greater meaning that life as humans affords us. And in all of this, I want to acknowledge my privilege, my massive, unusual, without a doubt privilege, that I can even fathom taking off the month of July for just my family and myself. I know that this is not a luxury that is available to everyone. And I really do hope that this episode is not perceived as a prescriptive do this or don't do that of how to embrace rest, but rather kind of opening up this discourse about the nature of unhealthy work culture, which in my case is very much self-imposed. More and more, I find that I'm so focused on the metaphorical trees in my work life that I rarely zoom out to take notice of the entire glorious forest around me. And what a shame it is to be so engrossed with the everyday to-dos that I fail to notice the everyday ta-das. So this July, I vow to zoom out the entire month of July and I vow to see the forest and really to marvel at those tadas. I haven't taken a break like this in as long as I can remember and maybe actually never in my adult working life since I was about 16 years old, lifeguarding at the pool. I've always been in a constant state of motion, forward movement, improvement, but I need to carve out the necessary time for rest and rejuvenation and rejoicing. And that is what I hope to do this July. 
I'm going into it with no expectations. My only criteria being that I take full advantage of slowing down and actively focusing on things other than work work, even though I love my work work. And I think that's why it scares me so much because I know who I am when I'm working. I know what will punctuate my days. I know that through the doing is where my new ideas come from. So slowing down or stopping means uncertainty and fear and the unknown as to who I will be without my work work. And I have no idea if I actually can slow down my brain. And I fear if I get it to stop, it may never get up to speed again. The other day, a friend shared a video with me that beautifully articulated all of this that I am saying using flowers as a metaphor, which I think beautifully brings us back to where this bonus episode material started. Emmy award-winning producer and host Jenny Mae Jenkins shared this idea in a recent interview. She said this, If a flower doesn't bloom, do you blame the flower or do you blame its environment? So imagine, if this plant didn't bloom, are you going to blame the plant? Are you going to check the soil? Are you going to check the light? Are you going to check the air around it, the humidity? Because that's the reason why the plant grows, right? So we are that flower. If we are not growing, or we're not sprouting or blooming the right way, what's your environment? In short, July means that I'm changing my environment so that I may continue to evolve and grow and thrive for myself and for my family. Finally, as a conclusion to this rambly bonus content, (laughs) here's what my out of office will say for the month of July. Subject, out of office. Message, I am out of office and returning on August 1st, 2022 with no access to email. If you need to reach someone regarding da-da-da-da-da, please contact da-da-da-da-da in my absence. If you need to reach out to someone regarding da-da-da, reach out to da-da-da-da-da. If the matter is time-sensitive or an emergency, I can be reached at this phone number. Cheers to summer, Diana. But here's what my out-of-office might say if it were socially acceptable to include an emotional and poetic account of my inner monologue as an out-of-office reply. (laughs) Subject. Stepping off the treadmill to take a breath. Message. Thank you for your email, but I wish to inform you that it will be a while before I get back to you. My tech and I are taking a break. Boundaries are hard especially with an ever-present supercomputer humming and dinging and pinging in my pocket. It's hard for my brain not to want to synchronize with the speed and working hours of my devices when we are so intimately connected. So I will stop trying to try and remove temptation instead. The cult of efficiency paired with my black belt in strategic productivity that I've been diligently working towards my entire adult life keeps me lingering in the past and planning for the future. Rarely is there an opportunity to stop in the present. Like, really stop. Do nothing. Take a breath. But if I ever do get a chance to take a breath, it's scary. 
It's uncomfortable. It's unfamiliar. And all of a sudden, that treadmill of work looks a lot easier to focus on than the winding, unfamiliar path that's yet to be traveled in every other facet of my life. So I focus on the conveyor belt underneath my feet and the mileage ticking upward in front of me, stoically pushing forward without question as to not face the friction, the discomfort, the fear. But I have to step off that treadmill. There's no other option. I must try to actively quash the fear for the life-changing possibilities present in love. Choosing love over fear every day, every hour, every minute is the only path forward. I mean, I know this in theory, but it remains at arm's length, seemingly impossible to practice in reality. But I must try. I must try to choose love over and over and over again because love is not the default. Love is the choice. And love is the choice that I am making this summer when I detach my psyche from my devices and live out my analog existence with fewer distractions, more focused attention on relationships, and a choice to move through my days with the connecting energy of love. I will be powering down, stepping off of the treadmill and taking a deep breath as I head out into the unknown with the people I care about most. I choose love by stepping out into the unknown where I will be able to stop becoming and just be for a moment. Here's to long summer days, made so through novelty of experience and intentionality. Diana, Curious Human. So today, it's June 30th, 2022, and in just a few hours, it will be July 1st. See you in August.